The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab a hold of them and let's open them up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We are right in the middle of our 1 Peter sermon series this fall, and so 1 Peter 3 is where we're going to be. I'd love for you to, uh, if you got your Bible, open it up. If you've got a phone or a tablet, you can Google search 1 Peter. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Also, there are hardback black Bibles under every chair. I'd love for you to grab one of those. 1 Peter 3 is on page 1015, so 1015. Uh, I, I ask you to open up your book because, listen, I, I, I will very honestly lie to you. I'm just honest with it. I, will, I could lie to you uh, as, as a pastor. Um, you want to check what I say against the text. I don't say that just for me. I say that for anybody. Anybody who brings you biblical propositions, if you don't see them in the Bible, don't listen to them, Okay. Like, you learn this thing, read this thing, have it in hand. That's why we say this on repeat. So 1 Peter 3 is where we're going to be. Uh, this is an interesting text, uh, so I'm just going to get it over with, all right? I'm going to read the controversial parts, and then we will go through the text and actually break them down. But just so that we're all on the same page, here's the controversial parts from our text today. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Everybody feeling good already? Yeah. Engaged couple here. They're, they're still excited about it. Yeah. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Wives, don't braid your hair or wear gold jewelry. Wives, have a gentle and quiet spirit. Okay? Wives, obey like Sarah who called Abraham Lord. Okay? Husbands... Honor the woman as the weaker vessel. So even the, even the, the word to the husbands is kind of a shot at the wives, right? So uh, nothing to be worried about at all, okay, on this text. No, no pitfalls for me to step into at all. I'm not worried, okay? I thought last week about, you know, submitting to the government was going to be tough. Uh, this one's harder, yeah? This, one's, this one is harder, okay? Uh, I, I'm calling today's sermon weaker vessel. Weaker vessel. What does this stuff mean? What does this mean? Uh, why is this here? How do we deal with this? How do we handle this as modern American people? Like, what do we do with texts like this? This is, by the way, th- one of three places in our New Testament that has words like this. They're called household codes. Okay, we saw one in Ephesians last year. Back in the book of Colossians, there's one. And now here in First Peter, there are these household codes. And just so you know, texts like this are, are one of the main reasons why we preach the way that we preach here at Fathom. Okay, going book by book, through books of the Bible. We do this because I probably wouldn't choose this text to preach if I was allowed to. I just, I mean, I didn't like wake up thinking about 1 Peter and just thrilled that I get to preach 1 Peter 3 to you today. That's not the reason here, okay? Uh, but, but, But gosh, so many churches are built upon the whims and preferences of the pastor, Uh, or the felt needs of the congregation rather than a steady diet of the ongoing word of God. And so that's why we do this, okay? That's why we're doing this 
And additionally, we had seven couples from Fathom get married this summer. And so this is a felt need, okay? <laughs> Just so you know, it is a felt need. Uh, and I'll say that. And now this is the other side. I'll say this too. Half of our church, almost half, literally almost 50% of our church are single people. Okay, so many of you in here are single. I would say, please don't check out on this uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you probably, I mean, statistically will not be single your whole life. And the way that you think about marriage before you get married will affect how you do marriage once you get married. And oh, by the way, it will also inform who you're looking for in your pre-marriage season. So singles, please do that. But then also the second reason I'd say you need to pay attention to this is because you want healthy, good, godly marriages all around you. For, for the benefit of everyone, for the benefit of society, you want good, healthy marriages. So please, I want you to think through this topic, even if you are a single person, uh, because this is an important topic. Now, let me also say this as way of kind of a segue into this. Uh, this has a, is a text that has been historically abused. This is a text that has been abused uh, by people who have taken these words out of context twisted them in attempts to control and to domineer and to subject women to terrible plights. And I'm, I hope I show you well today that that's not what this text is intended to do. That's not Peter's intent. And those, those, those uh, uh, abuses are evil. They're wrong. They're wrong. But the, the inclination then to pendulum swing over to the other side and overreact and say, well, that must mean that these words certainly not, uh, they, they certainly must not mean what they say they mean. That's an overreaction. Okay, so, so just beware of teachers, preachers who spend time explaining why the text of scripture doesn't mean what the text of scripture says. Be careful. Be careful, the pastoral epistles will say that there's a day coming, and it has come, I believe, where people will find preachers and teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. So we don't wanna abuse this, but we also don't wanna neglect this. We want to faithfully interpret what God has laid out for us in the scriptures. So with all of that being said, let's get into this controversial passage, and I hope it will be informative and instructive for us today. First Peter chapter three, we're gonna pick it up in verse one, follow along, please. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Okay, so uh, we're gonna start right there because uh, Peter starts by saying likewise. And likewise is a conjunction that connects us to what he said at the end of chapter two. So this is a link passage to the end of chapter two. And he uses, uh, Peter uses the same words. He says, be subject to, or you could translate that Greek word, uh, submit yourself to. So we've seen this two other times. This is the third time he said, be subject to or submit yourself to. Back in chapter two, verse 13, he said, be subject to every human authority. So be subject to the government. Okay. Then in verse 18 of chapter two, he said, slaves be subject to your masters. And remember he's talking to the Roman empire. That's when this was written when slavery was a predominant way that their social pecking order worked. And now in chapter three, verse one, he says, wives be subject to to your own husbands. So right off the bat, this is our first point for the morning. It's this, wives are called to submit. Wives, submit 
to your husbands. And listen, that is not a popular thing. That's not a popular thing for me to say at all. But that's what's in the Bible. In the text, there is a leadership role that the Bible says husbands have in the home and that wives are asked to submit to. That's, that's the theology, the doctrine that is here. And let me just bust a few myths because it immediately that bristles against our modern sensibilities. So let me burst some bubbles and hopefully that will help. First of all, this does not mean that women are inferior to men in any way. It's not about an inferiority or superiority thing. This is where, at times, these texts have been twisted and misused because biblically, men and women are equal. In the Bible, we find this, that men and women are equal. We'll see that they play different roles in certain circumstances, but women are not inferior to men, nor are wives inferior to their husbands. That is not what this text is teaching. The superiority, inferiority nonsense is where a lot of abuse stems from. It's where a lot of abuse stems from, but that's bogus. Men and women are equal. Remember, I talked about this last week, the doctrine of the imago Dei, the image of God that every human being has intrinsically upon them at their birth. We are equal. We are sharers of that image of God. We are equal because we have that intrinsically in us. Well, then you might, you might want to argue, well, pastor, uh, if husbands are given a leadership role, if they're given a leadership role in the home, which their wives are asked to submit to, that makes them inferior, doesn't it? Doesn't it make them inferior? No. No, it doesn't. That's not even good logic. It's, I mean, really, it's not even good logic, okay? Uh, here's an example. Take another doctrine, another Christian doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, think about the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches that there is one God, we serve one God, who is eternally existing in three persons, so Christians are monotheists. We believe in one God that manifests, that shows up in three distinctive persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, that's the Trinity. Now, when the Son was on this earth, incarnate as the man Jesus Christ, Jesus made it very clear that he was perfectly submitted to the will of the Father. The Son is submitted to the will of the Father, and the Holy Spirit, we are taught, is sent by the Father and the Son to bear witness to the Son. So there are differing roles in the Trinitarian Godhead, and there is no Holy Trinity without the order of authority and submission. Okay, submission cannot imply inferiority or inequality because Jesus is both fully God, he is God, and he is perfectly submitted to the Father. So this is, it's actually a Christological heresy to say that submission automatically makes you inferior. It's not good logic. In the Trinity, we see perfect equality and perfect submission. These can work together. And marriage is meant to be the same. Marriage is meant to be the same. Men and women have different roles within a marriage, 
but they are meant to complement one another. And in doing so, they put God's glory on display. They actually show a little aspect of what God is like in his nature as a triune God. So wives, the text says, be subject to your own husband. Now we're gonna get into some outworkings of that in a few minutes, but but I'm just gonna keep going in our text. That's the premise for this morning. So let's pick it up again in verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So when we read texts like this, we need to remember that the text at face value is actually contained in a context. There's something going on that the writer is writing to address, and Peter gives us a window into that context in these verses. See, in this context, Peter is addressing believing wives, so Christian wives, who apparently had some husbands who did not believe in Jesus. That's the context of this household code. It's a very common thing in the early church, okay? Because many women became followers of Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire while their husbands did not. And that's, I mean, there's lots of theories as to why that is, but one that just makes the most sense to me is, listen, in Rome, being a dude was way better than being a chick. It just, listen, it just was. If you took history class in a public high school today, you would still learn this. In in Roman culture, being a man was a much higher position than being a woman in the Roman Empire. And so it makes sense that when Jesus shows up and starts saying, hey, you are all equal. You all have the image of God. You all have worth and value and dignity and, and gifts that should be used for the building up of the body. When Jesus shows up on the scene with this message, of course women are gonna start, sign me up for that. That makes sense. Now, this phenomenon is still true in some ways today. There are many women who are Christians who have unbelieving husbands. And yes, there are believing husbands whose wives do not, at the, do not believe in Jesus themselves. Like there's, the other side is true. I'm just saying it's not as uh, the, the same general rate. You, you find more Christian wives with unbelieving husbands than you do find Christian husbands with unbelieving wives, just as a generality, okay? So let me tell you what I think Peter is actually trying to say here in this text. In this, these first two verses, I think he's trying to say this. Husbands don't come to Christ because of the nagging of their wives. That's what I think he's saying. I think he's saying that, okay? Like husbands don't come to bow. Unbelieving husbands don't start wanting to worship Jesus because the wife of, of their youth is nagging them or berating them or manipulating them. That's not how it works. Husbands might try to like conform the best they can to keep the peace and pacify their wives, but they will not be transformed by that. Only the spirit of God does that. Okay, and and so listen, if you are the wife of an unbelieving husband, the text I think is saying that we need to prayerfully ask God to engage him and then be respectful in how you conduct yourself with him. And listen, I've seen this happen on repeat. I've watched this happen in my ministry and I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it. I've watched 
Christian wives try to manipulate or badger or complain or kind of berate their husbands into the kingdom. And it never turns out well. You might have families that have done this. You might have experienced this yourself. Did you know the Bible actually says some really crazy things about husbands who live with wives who are kind of always like nagging and complaining and berating them? The Bible talks about this. Okay, I'm not gonna make this up. Okay, this is on the text. Proverbs 21 says this. It's, it's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. That's the wisdom of Solomon in the Holy Scriptures. Okay, that literally, that's, that's God coming to a husband of a quarrelsome and nagging wife and being like, all right, man, just get to the, go to the desert. Just get out of the desert. It'd be better. Just go to the desert. The man's like, should I get some water? Should I get some water? He's like, no, 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 just go, just go. It's going to be better for you there. He's like, he's like, oh, will, will I, will I die there? Yes, you will. <laughs> yes, you will. And it will be, you'll be better off. You're, you're coming home. You're coming home to me. Just like, just get out of there. Get out into the desert. This is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. You see it. Okay, uh, Proverbs 27. Another place, Solomon says this. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. This is God equating living with a contemptuous woman to water torture. (laughs) A dripping, like that's, that's what he's saying right there. I know that's, that's levity for, for the moment, but listen, what Peter is saying is, wives, submitting to your husband with this re- respect and honor goes f- much further with an unbelieving spouse than you nagging them or berating them or manipulating them. Love them, honor them, respect them. Even if they don't share in your beliefs, that's a better testimony for Christ. So that's the context All right, now let's keep going because it gets maybe wilder. I don't know. It depends on what your view is. Verse three, don't let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very Precious. Okay. Any ladies in here have braids in their hair right now? Anybody? Any braids? Oh, nobody's in sin. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm so glad to see that. Uh, any ladies wearing gold jewelry right now? Gold? Okay, sinner, 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 <laughs> sinner. Yeah, sinner. Is, is that what this means? Anybody wearing nice clothes? I mean, you look pretty good today, right? Uh, uh, is, that, is that what this means? No braided hair, no nice clothes, no gold jewelry. What about white gold? Does that count? I don't know. Like what? <laughs> what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Again, context is very important. It's very important. And in this context, what this is saying, hear me, is that who you are on the inside is more important than the externals specifically in the context of a believing wife and an unbelieving spouse. Okay, it's, listen, it's saying, ladies, don't use your externals as a way to get from your husband what you're looking for. 
And that context of an unbelieving spouse is, is one thing. I think that can actually apply to all of us, okay? Ladies, you, you've got those tools available to you. I love my wife. She can win me with like not even a thing, all right? Those tools are how you look, what you wear. Those things, you can use those and they will likely work. You will get what you want from your husband. But just hear me. The temptation to use those like that to, to manipulate your husbands, that's not the way you get what you want. You might get what you want, but it's not the way that you should want to get what you want. You follow me on that? Is that too confusing? No, you got that? It's not how you should, it's not the, it's not the card you should play, is what he's saying. Now, the difficult words, I don't think the braid, I think, I think if people are like, oh, you shouldn't braid your hair, you're in sin. Like God loves straight hair, not braided hair. That's dumb, okay? That interpretation is just dumb. I don't think that's the hard part in those verses. The, the, the trickier part is the words that women are to have a gentle and quiet spirit. What, what does that mean? Because some have historically taken those words, abused those words and said, okay, women, you need to be quiet. You need to be docile. You need to be passive. Shut up and get in the kitchen. I'm not, that's what it's been used to do. And again, that is an evil abuse of this text. It's an evil abuse of this text. Because a gentle and a quiet spirit, biblically, is not a trait that is reserved for the command to women or to wives. It's actually, for every one of us, it is a Christ-like character trait. A gentle and a quiet spirit. It's actually, Jesus Jesus says, that's how I am. That's how Jesus is. Consider his words in Matthew 11. This is Jesus' words. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. We're all called to imitate Christ in this way. And so Peter is saying in this context, wives, submit to your own husbands, to the leadership of your husband in the home. Don't try and bend him to your will with your external beauties, but rather be like Christ. Be gentle and quiet. Be, be humble in your spirit with him. It's far better. It's far more compelling. So that's what he's doing here. And in verse five, he uses an illustration that would have struck a chord with all of his lady listeners at this point. So, so look at verses five and six. He says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, it said that this, this is an illustration, okay? Verses five and six are Peter using an illustration to help his readers understand this. And he brings up Abraham and Sarah, the patriarch and the matriarch of the Hebrew people. Those are the top two. And he says that Sarah called Abraham Lord, okay? So I told Marcy this week as an application, she can just address me as Lord, Right? Like I just said, hey, you just do this. It's in the Bible. It's in the text. Uh, and she laughed at me, like incredulously laughed at me, okay? And if I had actually like demanded that of her, uh, I wouldn't be here today, all right? <laughs> I mean, I would be dead. That's what would happen 
if that happened, okay? So, so is, that, is that what we're supposed to take from this? A prescription that, that wives are to refer to their husbands as Lord? No, that's insane. This is, a, this is an illustration, okay? These verses provided an example for the, from the women of the biblical past, the matriarchs of the faith, who Peter's readers would have looked up to and adored. The wives of the patriarchs were the mothers of the Hebrew nation of the faith. And, and now, if you remember, in contrast, the way that women are treated, treated in the Roman Empire versus the way that Abraham and Sarah and the Hebrews treated their wives was, was completely different. And so, so in the regular world, wives had no rights. They were treated as property. And, and then you spin the table around, and in the Hebrew world, man, men and women work together for the betterment of their family. Now, there's always mess in those stories, and we've studied some of that, but, but, but Peter is actually pointing to a good example of how submission worked in the ancient Jewish context, where wives are submitting to their husbands in mutual respect. So now, listen, there is plenty more that I could go into on these verses, but I have to get into the husband side of things because this isn't fair if I don't, okay? Um, so there's more that I could say, but for now, those six verses they don't mean what they've been abused to mean. What they mean is that there is a leadership position that God has established for husbands in marriage that the wives are asked to submit to that leadership. It's not an inferiority. It's not a, uh, it's not a who's better, who's, who's worse. It's none of those things. That's what the text is setting up. Now let's move on to 1 Peter 3 and look at verse 7. Likewise. So there it is again, okay? The same word, likewise, is now given to the husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay. So obviously the, the, the words weaker vessel, are those are hard ones. Maybe the hardest ones in this text to handle with. So what does Peter mean here? Before we get into what husbands are called to do, what does Peter mean by weaker vessel? Well, we've already covered, it's not weaker in terms of intelligence, worth, gifting, leadership abilities, wisdom, any of those things. It's not that at all. Remember, image of God, imago Dei, everyone has it. We are equal, men and women. That's why Peter says in verse seven that they are heirs with you in the grace of life. Men and women, we have a common creation, we have a common redemption, and we have a common destination through Jesus. That's what we have. So then what does weaker vessel mean? Well, I read a lot this week. And I think scholars have essentially three different perspectives on it. And I want to share all three with you, and then I'll tell you which one I think is the best. These are the three that I found. Okay, first, women are generally physically weaker than men. Generally, women are physically weaker than men. And I know that's not PC to say any longer. Right, we're all equal. We can all do the same thing. But, but listen, most husbands can overpower their wives. 
It's just, it's just true by nature, by, by, by hum, human uh, genetics. That's just how it works. And someone told me last week when they knew I was preaching this text, they said that, Chris, you should challenge every woman at the church to an arm wrestle and just prove it, okay? <laughs> but I didn't want to embarrass myself. Uh, and, and, and I don't exactly think that's what this means. But, but physically... Physically. Now, also remember the context, because remember context. We keep talking about context here. This is Rome. This is the Roman Empire where it was legal to and expected that men would dominate their wives physically in order to ensure their submission. That's the culture that Peter's writing into. And he says to the Christian husband, no, no, no. Respect her, honor her as the weaker vessel physically. It's one option. Second option, commentators point out that uh, women are weaker in positional authority. Not just physical, but positional authority, both in the Roman pecking order, in the social strata of the time, but then also in this household code, that this might be a positional weakness. And then third, some scholars think that this could mean that women are uh, emotionally weaker, the weaker vessel meaning women are, are wired differently than men are. Generally, more generally, women are more intuitive, more sensitive than men are. And, and hear me, while I think that that is generally true, these are generalizations, so I think this is generally true, I'm not sure that's what they mean by weaker, and I wouldn't want to associate weakness with that idea, with emotional uh, weakness or something like that. So so I'll just put my cards on the table. Those are the three options that I found in the, in the study this week. I think the first interpretation makes the most sense in the context of this passage. I think women are, on a whole, physically weaker, and thus they become the more vulnerable sex in our world systems. They are weaker. And, and again, weaker doesn't mean uh, inferior. It doesn't imply inferiority. Regardless, actually, any of those, uh, of those interpretations, it doesn't mean that women are inferior or less than men. So here's the illustration I heard. Uh, take it. I think it's helpful. Uh, think of women being weaker like you would the difference between a thermometer and a crowbar. It's not the perfect illustration, but it's pretty good, okay? Um, both are tools, both are tools that are used for completely opposite purposes. Okay, crowbar. Crowbar is used to like pry things apart and like bust open a door and just like, it's, it's, it's out there to bruise, it's out there to, to destroy, it's out there to rip things out. You're trying to pry something open, you need a crowbar, okay? You never try to pry a door open with a thermometer. That's not what it's for, first of all, but it would break. It would break because it's weaker in that sense physically but then again, the thermometer is far more powerful in other ways than the crowbar is. You don't shove a crowbar in your mouth or in your rear end and get your temperature. Find out if you're sick. I mean, you do it, you're sick, okay? But, but that's, that's not what it's meant for. That's not what it's meant for. It's not the best metaphor. I'm sorry. Mary Robinson, I'm sorry. That's my mother-in-law, yeah. <laughs> I think it's what Peter is actually meaning here, you guys. I think it's what he means when he says that women are weaker vessels. 
They can, they can do some things that the crowbar can't do. But there's something that the crowbar can do that the thermometer can't do. I think that's what he's meaning there. And the word then that Peter says to instruct men how they are to respond then to that weaker vessel is the word honor. It's the same word that he used last week when he said, honor the emperor. Honor, honor the government, honor the top official over you. He says, husbands, honor the woman as the weaker vessel. Honoring means to prefer them over yourself. That's what honoring means. So here, here's my point. If wives are called to submit, then I would say husbands are called to serve. Husbands, serve. Your calling, husbands, with any sort of positional authority that you might have in your home is to serve your wife with that authority. So what does that mean? Husbands, serve. What does that mean? Here, here's a few things. Men, you should never lead independent of your wife. You should never lead independent of your wife. Why? Because you weren't given this role because you're a better decision maker than her. That's not, why you get, that's not why you got the role that you got, okay? Your wives might be smarter than you. Your wives might be wiser than you. Your wives are, the Bible says, a gift from God to you to help, to help you. So listen to her, talk with her, consult together. And if you don't, the Bible has a word for you. And the word is, you're a fool. You're a fool. That's what the, the text would say. I talk, listen, I talk to Marcy about everything. Every single decision, I'm running it by her. And we always aim for a consensus, that's what we're aiming for, a consensus as we're trying to make decisions as a married couple. Here's an example of how that looks, because I think this is helpful, okay? Uh, in 2005, 2005 was when I first got an inkling about planting this church. 2005, okay? Uh, I was 20. Okay, I was 20. Uh, I was almost done with college at CCU, okay? So go Cougs. Uh, and, and yeah, that's about right, yeah. <laughs> Marcy and I were, were starting to like get serious about dating, leaning towards marriage. And I remember at CCU, I was a, this last year at CCU, I told her, hey babe, someday I wanna plant a church. I think I wanna plant a church. She said these exact words to me. She said, not if you marry me, you aren't. <laughs> uh, and so I married her. Uh, but um, but over, over our first eight years of marriage, uh, I would occasionally share with her this desire that I felt like God had put on my heart to plant a church only for her to respond with the same conclusion that she did not feel that same call that I felt. She didn't feel that. So now here's the question. Could I have pulled out the wives submit card, okay? Played that thing and planted a church? You bet I could have, but I would have been an idiot. Or the Bible's word, a fool. That would be a foolish decision because that's not consensus. That's not a consensus. When there is not a consensus in something big like that in our lives, hear me, we always punt the ball. 
That's a, that's a sports metaphor, okay? We, we always punt. It's like the Broncos. We always punt the ball, okay? We, al- we always, listen, in my marriage, we always take more time to pray, to seek wise counsel, to process together more. I, I never wanted to endeavor on the task of planting a church without her complete buy-in. Never. So I'd impress it. But in 2015, when I talked to her about it again, we were on a walk in our neighborhood, right by your house. And she said, I think it's time. Which was a different answer to the same question that I've been asking for almost a decade. And I thought, oh, I better really think about this this time. Because she just gave me the green light, okay? And, and so it took 10 years of waiting for what I felt like God put on my heart in college to actually be ushered into reality. And I thank God for the decade. I thank God for that decade because it would have been unbelievably foolish for me to move before she was ready. Let alone because I was 20, okay? It was dumb enough to do it at 29. It was just dumb. But, but, but I always seek consensus with her before I move forward in something like that. Listen, I've been married uh, almost 17 years, 16 and a half years now. And I have, hear, hear me, never once used the submit card. I have never once used the submit card in my marriage. You want to know why? Because men are never told to demand that their wives submit. Women are told to offer their submission. And that's a different thing. Every time the Bible points this principle out, these household codes out, it's never his demand of her. It's always her, hers to, to freely give to him. Always. So men, you are called to use your authority to serve your wife so that it becomes a delight for her to submit to your service. That's what this text means. So if you come to a place where you can't reach a consensus in your marriage on a big issue, gosh, 99 out of 100 times, maybe, maybe 999 out of 1,000 times, husbands, you are called to defer to the preference of your wife. You're called to defer because your calling is to serve. Now, I, I'm guessing you're thinking, some of you are thinking this, hey, I love, Chris, that your marriage is freaking perfect and, and that you guys just reach a consensus on anything, on everything. That's not how it's going for me. So what happens when, when, when we don't have a consensus? What happens then? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking, okay? Because I actually have this written into my notes. Another illustration, because I knew you were going to ask this, okay? So when COVID hit, remember COVID? It was a thing, okay? Uh, when COVID hit, we started homeschooling our daughter, Harper, okay? Uh, we, she was in preschool. We weren't gonna do online preschool, okay? So uh, we pulled her out of school and we brought her home and Marcy started homeschooling Harper. And Marcy actually really enjoyed it. And so she decided that she wanted to homeschool Harper. So we did that for the next three years. For kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, we homeschooled Harper. But then last year, Harper, at, towards the middle of the semester, Harper started talking about going to real school, which is a hurtful and unnecessary slam on homeschooling, okay? 
um, and actually on Marcy too. That's uh, that, that's another time. But uh, but 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 Marcy and I wanted to start talking about that. We started talking about it, and hear me, we couldn't decide what was best. We couldn't make a decision. So, so we just started doing our due diligence, all right? We, we started making a list of potential schools we might send her to, schools we would never send her to, okay? We started that, and then we started touring some of the schools that we were interested in, and then, and then we actually put her name on some waiting lists because, listen, it's like you can't get into schools anymore. So if you're pregnant, pregnant ladies in here, okay, uh, get your kids on waiting lists now, all right? <laughs> I'm not even, I'm being a little exaggerated, but like it's, it's crazy out there. But we started doing those due diligences and I, and I wanted to defer to Marcy for this decision. So I said, Marcy, you get to make this decision because it actually affects you way more than it affects me. It affects you because you're the one who's gonna be primarily doing the homeschooling. And so uh, Marcy just couldn't make up her mind. She just really, like, she was like, do we homeschool? Do we do charter school? Do we do private school? Like, and we just kind of, we were circling it and we kind of came to a stalemate. Like, what do we do? If we go private, how do we afford it? Maybe we just stick to homeschool. It's free. But is that what's really best for Harper? Like, we could not make the decision uh, as to what the right call is. You ever been in that position where there's like a spectrum of faithful options being presented to you? And there's not like one clear one. It's like, follow Jesus or sell heroin. It's like, which one am I going to pick? I'll pick Jesus, right? But you have a spectrum of faithful options. And you're not sure exactly which one God would have you choose. You ever been there? That's where we were. That's where we were at. So hear me. This is when I, as her husband, am called to exercise my authority. Now follow me. I did not want to make that decision. I didn't want to make that decision for Marcy because it affected her, but I did not want to make that decision, if I'm honest, because what if it goes badly? What if I make the wrong decision? Indecision is a real temptation because the wrong decision is a real, is a real opportunity for you to, to choose. But spiritual authority isn't license to do what you want to do. Spiritual authority is empowerment for you, men, husbands, to do what you ought to do. To do what you ought to do. So I served my wife and I made the decision. I did, okay, I made the call, private school. How do we afford it? She asked, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. And, and listen, I didn't make that, depe- that, that decision independent of her, not even close. We were circling and circling and circling. And at the point where she doesn't want to make the wrong decision, I don't want to make the wrong decision. It's time for me to be the guy who says, I'll make the call. I'll make the call. And, and if it turns out to be the wrong decision, like if Harper hates it, which by the way, she hated it to start. It was a hard first couple of weeks with her weeping every morning and when she came home from school and for us to say, no, you gotta keep going. And that's my responsibility. It's not hers. That's my responsibility. That's not on her. I think that's what it means, fellas, to exercise your authority and serve your wife. So the great pastor Tony Evans puts it like this. Spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so he can punch the man. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's right. It's not about the man having more power. It's about the man 
accepting the responsibility that is his. If you read, if you, listen, if you read Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, and you compare the punishment that God sets forth for Eve, for the woman, to the punishment that God sets forth for Adam, for the man, it is disproportionate. Eve is responsible for her part. Adam is responsible for his part and the fracturing of all of creation. It has more to do with accountability than it does to do with power. Guys, husbands serve their wives in a way that submitting to him becomes a blessing to her. That's how it's supposed to work. It doesn't always work this way. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, listen, a lot of men don't lead this way. A lot of men don't lead this way. There's a lot of reasons I think I can think of as to why. Um, but one is, is that I don't think that men have been put in the position to lead in their lives like this very often. I think in modern culture right now, guys are being so coddled by their parents, by their coaches, by their schools. I mean, goodness help us. All of society is lowering and lowering and lowering the standard, the bar for what it takes to be a man to the point where it's like, I'm a man, right? You just step over that little tiny baby bar and you're fine. You could trip over that thing into manhood in our culture. And I'm just saying, that's a problem. And here's what happens. Those little boys who just happen to know how to shave and get over that bar, they get married. They get married, it's a bad deal. Now hear me, ladies, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying this, uh, maybe a little bit, okay? I'm, I'm telling you, ladies, if you are married to a man by submitting to them and not letting them shirk their responsibility to lead, you create a leadership vacuum in your home that forces men to act like men. It's a good and right gift to your husband that you are offering to him. Listen, when Marcy allows for me to lead like this, it puts pressure on me because I don't want to make the wrong call. And I can shirk from that responsibility or I can rise up to that responsibility and I've got to make the call and I've got to live with the consequences and I've got to serve her. It's how it's supposed to work. This whole thing, it's not about what women can or can't do. It, it's about what men are called to do, but oftentimes don't do. That's what this is. Okay, let me finish the text because verses eight through 12 is a culmination, not to this passage, but to the last three passages of submitting ourselves to authority. So let me read this over us, verses eight through 12, and then we'll close up. Finally, see, finally. Finally is different than likewise. That's how you know contextually that you're at the end of a thought, okay? Finally. All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous 
and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now I could preach a whole sermon just on those verses and I'm not, but, but here's what he, Peter is saying in this culmination passage. Whether you're submitting to the government, some sort of authority, whether you are a slave master kind of submitting to an unjust master or whether you are submitting in even a difficult marriage with an unbelieving spouse, maybe. Peter here says, finally, do it Christ's way. That's what he says. Do it the way that Jesus did it. Remember, that's what we said last week too. Jesus submitted to the government, to the governing authorities in his crucifixion. Now he's saying, do it like this, with, with unity and sympathy and love and tenderness and humility. Like, don't repay evil for evil. Don't, don't go punch for punch, not reviling for reviling. Instead, bless. Bless one another and you will receive a blessing. This is how Christians submit to authority. That's what the call of the last two weeks has been. And y'all, that's difficult stuff. This difficult stuff. Wives, submitting to your husbands is difficult. I know them, okay? I think this is why he says submit to your own husbands, okay? Like if you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't trust men. Okay, I don't either. I don't either. You have to trust one. That's, you're called to, to submit to one guy and, and single people in here, that's why it's so very important that you date and you do engagement and those things properly. Because you get to pick who you submit to. You get to choose that guy. And, and listen, husbands, serving your wives, preferring her in every conceivable way is difficult. We are built and bred to serve ourselves first. And then you get married and you're supposed to put someone else before you. Then you have kids and it's like, forget about everything. That's the call. It's difficult. But I love this G.K. Chesterton quote. Chesterton says, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. I, I think that applies here. Like this stuff on the surface level as we read 1 Peter 3, our modern sensibilities just say, that's rubbish. That's, that's trash. Why would I ever submit? Why would I ever put, prefer somebody's needs over my own every time? Why would I do that? And I'm just telling you, it's not that this has been tried and, and, and found wanting. It's that it seems too hard and so we just punt before we ever get into it. But the, Jesus is out for your joy. All of the commands of God are meant for you, not to rob you of the full experience of life, but to put you in the position where you can receive the fullness of life. God doesn't command you to do anything that is not ultimately meant to lead to joy, to fulfillment, to godliness, to humility, to the things that we actually desperately want in our lives. So this is what he's saying. Wives, submit. Husbands, serve. So let me end like this. I'm gonna give application to our married people in here. And I have a little application for our single people, but married people first. Here's my challenge for you this week. It's like homework, okay? If you're married, I want you to find some time 
this week. Maybe like on a date, date night or something like that. Okay, husbands, do your job. Okay, uh, buy your flowers. Okay, make the reservation. Okay, put on clean pants. Do the things that, you, that you're called to do as a husband. Okay, you do those things. Okay, uh, but then I want you to take her out to dinner and I want you to sit down across from the table and I want you to have some real talk with one another. Like some real conversations. I sometimes, like if I'm doing premarital counseling, I call these things date wreckers. Okay, I want you to wreck your date with this kind of conversation. I want you to have a date wrecker conversation where you have a harder conversation, a deeper conversation that sometimes can cause a little bit of tension and strife. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I like this over like the calamari. Do it, okay? Wreck the calamari. That's what I want you to do. And so wives, you sit down, you're looking across from your husband and I want you to listen to your husband. Now, husband, I want you to lead with this question. Where am I not serving you? Where am I not preferring your needs over my own? How can I, how can I take up the calling of what a, man, a Christian man, how, how can I serve you better? And, and now ladies, if you're like, oh, you don't, you're doing great. Please don't do that. I need you to be honest. That's why it's a date wrecker. I want you to be honest in that moment. And then wives, I want you to turn around and ask him this question. Hey, where am I not submitting to you? Where don't you feel respected? Where, where do you feel like I'm nagging or I'm coercing you? Like, how do I, how, how can I serve you? How, I mean, how can I submit to you better? And again, guys, I think it would behoove you to be honest to be honest about these things. That's why it's a date wrecker, okay? But it will move you into the positions, into the roles that God has established for your marriage. So that's my homework. Wreck a date this week, okay? With those conversations. Single people and to married people, here's my, my encouragement for you. Please pray for the marriages of the people around you. And please begin to prayerfully consider these things as markers as you think for potential future relationships that you might be in. Hey, let's all pray together right now for the marriages in our church. Let's pray towards that end together. Father, we bless you. These are hard words. This is a difficult text. It's two weeks in a row, Lord. Uh, but but these, these heavy words that 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 sometimes get misconstrued and get twisted and misunderstood and abused. We pray against that. God, we wanna be fully submitted under the authority of your word. And so Lord, as your word, uh, as we read it, Lord, help us to, help it to read over us. Help us to submit to your word in our lives. I pray for my friends in this room who are married. I pray, Lord, that, they would wreck some dates by, by having these conversations about submitting and serving. I pray the complementary roles in the marriage that would reflect your complementary roles in the Trinity would be a marker of health and beauty and dignity in our midst. I pray for my friends who are in hard marriages. And this is easy to talk about in the hypothetical and I, I don't wanna even get close to imagining that, that we all don't have our own mess that we're working through. Lord, where, where the ideal is lacking, grace always abounds. And so Lord, we need your grace in the midst of hard places. And, 
And Lord, for my single friends, I do pray that they would see this marriage instruction as something that is a high calling, that's a difficult calling, but it is a good and a right thing. And so as some of them will be married at some point, I pray that, Lord, they would hear these things, practice these things, learn these things early. So God, we trust you with relationships, even when they feel like they're wonky and broken and messy and good. Help us, Lord, to live more into this day by day. So God, we love you. We, we bless you. We pray these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit.